Mind playing up here? No, I want to be here forever. This is nothing like fighting clean up here. This is uh, almost wasted putting you guys to another talk. But I will attempt to stimulate you. I heard that. Who did? Who was snoring back there? There he is, the, the guy that was talking, whispering while I was talking last night. Let me, um, I'm going to kind of, uh, because the time I, and I want you guys to hold me that time because I almost get us all away from here. We Do we eat next, Jim? Okay. Of course. It's, it's, trough, it's trough time. Trough time. Let me uh, pray for us and then I'll kind of tell you the objectives of uh, my session. God, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for the weekend, for the weather, God. It's incredible, and we really do thank you. Thank you for the friendships and the joy we've had together as people. Thank you for the chance of how we've all learned. And I thank you for the men that's come into my life since I've been here, God, and how I've been provoked in some of my areas and some new thanking I have on things. I appreciate that, God. God, we're getting ready to mount up and go home, so I pray that you will take us safely home that you have hedged our family from Satan while we are gone, and let us safely return. Pray now, God, for that we will digest what we have learned and that we will be better servants uh, to our family and to our bosses and to our business and to our parents and to our friends when we go back. Make us better servants. Let us learn the lesson and help us uh, be men that are pleasing in your sight. Now, God, I ask you to look at my talk and keep me from wandering too much and keep me from saying idle things which don't need to be said. Pray this for the men's benefit, and I ask, me to ask you to guide me in my conversation. Amen. Amen. Now, guys, I'm, I want to take about a two-hour session and push it into one. What? There was a brown pen here. Did that go away? I'm helpless without my pens. No brown pens? My, my fear is you can't see this. Maybe you can. I guess you can see that pretty well, can't you? Okay. Thank you. Is that bigger? Is that a bigger deal? Thank you. Good. Yeah, it's bigger. Okay. Let me, um, we'll take on how do we become men of the Word of God? And it's going to deserve a lot more conversation than I'm going to give you, but let me uh, begin to put some thinking into your mind. I'm going to start telling you how we should observe the Bible. Walt actually tipped a little bit of that off when he said how to think biblically, uh, allow me to juxtapose to his talk and move forward with some more things. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Okay, first let me suggest to you that as we study the Word of God, we must be men who create habits that will bring us to becoming uh, men of the Word of God. Now, Walt said, and he said it very well, the issue of habits versus change thinking. Ultimately, the battle of, a, of discipleship is altering your thoughts, altering how you think about things, changing your mindset. But you can do that by great discussions and meditation and thinking, or you can do it by creating habits which take you to different thoughts. Would you agree with me on that? And so part of the discipleship is good habits. Part of the discipleship is learning how to think more properly and, and exposing yourself to those things. So let me give you a series of three little vignettes on this issue. Let me first talk about habits. Who in here can help me with the illustration of the hand? Who knows the hand illustration? 
Okay, there's one. This is a 50-year, excuse me, is there two? Did you know what Okay, count. Let me draw very crudely a hand. There's the thumb. Isn't that great? Isn't that good hand? <laughs> you stop that, Brett. Stop your laughing, Brett. 50 years ago, a guy named Dawson Trotman. Anybody know who Dawson Trotman is? He's the guy that founded the Navigators. Came up with the illustration of the hand. It's an incredible illustration. It's a very simple encapsulation of some habits you ought to create in becoming a man of the Word of God. He said there are five ways you can put the Word of God in your life. And this is the little finger. I don't want you to forget that. That's the little finger. That's right. Smash by him. All right. What was the first one, Dale? What's the first way you put the Word of God in your life? You hear the Word of God. And guys, this is why, this is how most of you in this room get 90 to 95% of your input, is you listen only. Statistically, it is proven that you're only going to retain at least 10% of everything you hear. 90% will go away. Oh, how many times I've heard a guy come up to me afterwards and say, boy, did I hear a stem winder on Sunday. I mean, he burned the birth. It was fantastic. I said, what did he talk about? He said, I have no idea what he talked about. <laughs> You're going to go home and say, boy, I want to tell you, old Waltz talked about that and <laughs> my blood pump. Tell me what he said. Well, I, I don't know what he said. I forgot what he said. <laughs> Hearing is a great word, but you're only going to maintain about 10% of everything you hear. One way to increase that retention is what? Immediate review upon exit. That's one way to improve your retention, but it is the weakest of all the ways, and yet in this room, a lot of you are getting 95% of all the word input in your life through hearing. Second one is reading. Excuse me, Dale, what's the second one? Good, Dale. You never take something away from a lawyer, he'll kill you. That's right. <laughs> you can read the word of God, and a habit of reading is very important. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but inside yourself, how many of you read through the Bible? Total left or right hand side. And I want to say to you that something is a habit you ought to be having for the rest of your life. And when you read, just don't read to grind out the words, but maybe pose yourself a question. Okay, God, me, when I go into the Word, I want you to tell me something about who you are as I read these verses. And there's good things you can do it in two years, you can do it in a year, you can do it in six months, all kinds of different ways. But it is a great habit to get into of just reading. I've read it a, n a number of times, and it has been an incredibly rewarding adventure because just the gross familiarity I have with the Word. I don't memorize all of it, don't remember all of it, but familiarity. I know where the stories are. I know how the stories link together. I, I know the composite context of the Scriptures. Habit I try to teach my children. Read at least ten pages every day of your life, I say to them. If you'll do that, you'll be the best read people in the world. Ten pages a night, that's all it takes. Not the Bible, just read ten pages. Then just select good books. And if you'll select good books and read ten pages, you'll be the best read people in the United States. Guys, that's not a very commanding uh, commitment. I'd suggest to you, if you'll read five pages of the Bible and five pages of a good book every day of your life, you'll be among the best informed people in the world within 20 years. You'll be in the elite Elite five percent of the world. You have gone through the Bible five times, or twenty times. Okay. Five pages. You'll finish. You'll uh, excepting in a large print. At my age, a large print you can't do. It. <laughs> <laughs> All 
I'm just a simple commitment. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, one of the struggles with our age. We're not readers. And we become fuzzy thinkers. And we live in pictures. And we don't think in words. And we are not contemplating the teachings of God. You cannot go down and buy a VCR and get the teachings of God. Yes. Let me tell you who's going to have a more full life, and it's a guy who's going to spend a little time. I'm not talking about a lot of time. A little time every night reading. Just do two things. Pick good books and keep your, at least half your time in the Bible. Guys, the commitment's not large. The dividends are incredible. How many guys I've spoke to, I'm getting off on a tangent. How many I've spoke to guys in 40 years, oh, boy, Gail, I'm going on a 40-year crisis. Oh, man, I just don't think I'm going anywhere. I'm struggling, etc. And then one of the questions always asking me is, When's the last time you read a book? Oh, when I was in college. <laughs> Didn't I complete all my education? Didn't I know everything when I left college? Huh? Is that true? I've, I have conquered the mountains, baby. I am the zenith of all known knowledge of man. <laughs> Fundamentally, all college should do for you is prepare you for the journey. That's all it is. Third one. What is it, Dale? Study. And there's a lot of ways you can study the Word. And I encourage you to give your life to study. And instead of me giving you lots of ideas, but that book that was up here, that's up there on ap uh, applying and studying and interpreting the Bible, written by those two renegades, is a decent book to look into how to study and get into the, the chance to study. What's the other finger? Memorize. If I maintain 10% here, I may get 20% here. Here I will in the 40%. And theoretically, memorize means I'll get 100% of the word. I want to say to you guys, I've memorized a ton of Scripture. I do not retain 100% of it. But the act of memorization is one of the great acts of study I've ever had. It's like doing mental push-ups. Yes? If I memorize Scripture, I'll remember 80% of what I remember. And mine's even lower than that. But I'm saying to you, the act of actually interpreting and studying the Scripture, one of the great events I do is study, is memorize. A deal to do if, if you have the guts to drive down the freeways is get you some memory cards and do one verse on your dashboard as you drive along where you basically your brain is in vegetated state going to work in the morning. You can memorize for five minutes to ten minutes a day and it is incredible what you could retain. Habits. This doesn't get you out of the woods. This is just habits. What do you want to say, Dale? They said that about you, Dale. They, they called me earlier. <laughs> this guy's really got a bad attitude. Yeah, that's true. say to you, two men who I have enormous respect for, men of God, I've asked them, how did you stay in the race and what counts? One of them said, I've never known a man, never known a man who is committed to God that has lasted the race, who has not had a meaningful quiet time. 
I've never met, he said, not, not, sometimes, I've never met a man. He said, here's a man who has worked for God all over the world. And he says, a quiet time is imperative. Absolutely, if you're going to make the race, it's imperative. It is a bloodline habit. Another guy said to me, I asked him how he ever became so rich in the scriptures. And he says, I give it a great deal of credit to my commitment to memorization early on. And what it's allowed me to do in understanding the scriptures. Those are two great habits, guys. What's the last thing? What's the thumb? Meditation. Theoretically, then, the strongest of all your fingers to grasp something is what? Your thumb. The little finger, you have problem holding it. You have problems with all the fingers. You get the thumb, and I can get a hold of it, Michael. I can get a hold of it. The problem is, <coughs> universally, you are not taught to meditate in our society. As a matter of fact, it is played down and erased. Schools do not teach you to meditate. It doesn't take you to teach you to contemplate and think. It teaches you to memorize and regurgitate. And meditation is imperative if you're going to grow as a man. And so I'm going to suggest to you that this is something that you're not equipped to do emotionally or culturally or by practice. It's something you have to work at doing. Being alone and thinking. But it is a key to really growing. Yes, sir. Let, let me restate what you just said. And what you just said was, you're not being equipped by the education system to meditate and think. There's something you like to learn. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it, guys. But don't think you can make the journey by glancing along the top of the waves. Are you with me? You have to take a dive. Dive in there. Hear, read, study, memorize, meditate. Just a nice little illustration. Put it in your pocket, pull it out every day and look at it. It goes with you. Vignette number two, how do we approach the scripture? How do we know how to apply the scriptures? Now first we've got to understand there's are different kinds of commands in the scriptures. There are positive commandments and there are negative commandments. There are silent, there's the scripture is silent in given places, there's instruction, there's examples, there's suggestions, there's different things that are going on. And I thought about this at length, about trying to understand how does Gail Jackson dive into scriptures and never come out with anything to know what to apply. Are you with me? So I'm going to give you some things that, have been, that I've been able to siphon out of this. Let me say to you that when I worked with Walt on that book years ago, we decided that uh, we were looking at the scriptures and how to present them, that if I looked at the scriptures, that when God gave me the negative commandments, What he had done is given me the boundaries, the acceptable boundaries of my life. Meaning he said, when you get out in interpersonal relationship and you are entering into adultery or you're entering into lying or you're entering into stealing, you are getting outside the boundaries of which I allow you to run. And when you come to Christ, you have freedom in Christ, right? And what that means is that I can move around in this massive acreage of life and do anything I want to do. But he says, if, as you're running around in this acreage, when you get near that edge, 
Watch out, you're in trouble. So what do we do? We walk up to the edge and say, uh, is this the line, God? He said, yes. Well, God, what about this? Well, what about this, God? Can I do that? How about if I did this, God? Is that, is that good enough? So I push the boundaries as far as I can instead of living in all of the liberty and freedom he has given me. Are you with me on that? Now, in my youth, I violated some of these things. I broke this wall down and exited and came back in. And I damaged this wall. But this wall is in your best interest. I've had many guys, friends of mine, who committed adultery and got themselves in trouble. And they know what is in their best interest. But they cannot get their hormones in their pockets or their pants zipped up long enough to realize that they're damaging themselves, they're damaging their children, they're damaging their wife, they're damaging their family for one night in a row. Never goes away. Haunts you forever. And so the commands are the boundaries of to our best interest. So as we have commandments, what we do is the negative commandments really do not lend us, lend us to any interpretation, do they? Bill, if I said to you that... Okay, uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Any of the thou shalt nots that we abide by. And if I say to you, Bill, thou shalt not lie, is there any confusion when you lie? No, there's no confusion on that. If I say, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church, how you do it and how I do it may be totally different. Would you agree with that? Everybody agree with that? But on a negative commandment, you don't get to vote. I'm really not interested in your opinion. This is a command. And, and I've never seen anybody confused on adultery. They know when they're there. They know when they're lying. They know when they're stealing. And guys, that is a boundary that they know where they are. And the negative commandment is not up for interpretation. It's not up for convictions. It's not up for opinion. It's a command that you're not to mess with. Period. Okay? But God commands us in a lot of other ways. He commands us with positive commands. He's silent in given areas. We talked about smoking the other day. He doesn't signal out smoking as an issue. We talked about instruction, uh, uh, examples. He has examples uh, that we can follow, that we need to look at. We can study the Old Testament and we'll see how David responded to a given problem. We'll see how different people responded and modeled a given problem. And there are examples we can interpret. He even makes given suggestions to us. But in those commands in this area, these are positive commands. And who decides what that looks like in your life, David? Is the input that you have in your life And ultimately, who's accountable to interpret those in your life? I am. You are. Thank you. Right answer. Here's the good news, guys. You get to decide how you're going to apply those scriptures. And here's the bad news. You get to review that decision with God very soon. You get to do that. It is incumbent upon you to decide what the boundaries of your life are. And you will come up with convictions. As I interpret these in my life, what I do is I draw another fence one in here that says, as I apply this scripture, this is where I'm going to be. And where I breached it in the past, I might get a deeper cut in there, but I have a boundary in which I put myself back over. It's a self-imposed restrictions in my life. Are you with me on that? 
So convictions are the predominant kind of application you have in your life where you take the commands of the scriptures and apply them to you and your circumstance where you are at the time. Are we together? I'm going to say a key truth about biblical application. I said this into my work group. God is more interested in your integrity than he is in your accuracy. God is more interested in your integrity than he is in your accuracy. Now let me ex illustrate that for you. I'm going to spend a few minutes developing this two or three different ways. I'm going to come at it two or three ways, and so kind of try to stick with me if you, if you hadn't kept up with me. When my young boys became, grew into teenage years and moved towards adulthood, as they began to date, I went out to say to them, we're going to talk about how you're going to deal with the opposite sex. Now, boys, I want you to know in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, that God says that it is good for you not even to touch a woman. Now, son, that's a good suggestion. Society doesn't do that, and there's a lot of other inducements to do other things. But I want to say to you, son, that the Scripture has suggested it, and it is deserving of your consideration. Now, I want you to say, son, way out on the other end, this is a do not fornicate verse. And son, if you're in fornication, you're in sin. You have crossed over that line. But son, I want to tell you something. There's a long way from don't even touch a woman to fornication. And son, where you sit on that line is between you and God. You get to choose where you put that line down. Two things I want you to remember, son, is one, personal purity is to be honored and to be something that you want to have as you enter into life. It is your responsibilities and not the girls. Do not discharge that responsibility to a girl. Secondly, son, judge and decide where you are on that line before you enter into the date. Because when you're in the heat of passion, ain't no time to decide a conviction. You agree. You don't decide integrity when you're in the heat of a, of a battle of a legal battle, of a business transaction. I don't decide my ethics on a business transaction when I'm in the midst of the contract negotiations. That ain't no time to do it. The hormones are going, I'm going to run over everything in sight. I better decide where the line is before I enter the battle. Convictions are determined in the time of calm to determine where I draw the line in the time of storm. In the times when life has settled down, that's when you study the scriptures, understand where God's teaching, and draw these lines where they are. So that as you approach them, you know it's in your best interest where you stop. You said, Gail, that's a neat, that's a neat illustration for your son. I almost say to you guys, when does being nice to your secretary turn into flirting? And when does flirting turn into emotional engagement? And when does emotional engagement turn into adultery? Guys, those are all lines on this trip. Where is your line? Guys, when I go and look at my books in my county, I want you to know that I know that I can fake it out for a long time with lead and just eraser. I can erase numbers and move them around. I look at my books. I'm, it's amazing to me the latitude you can move a set of books around with and, and just take journal entries and move them ever so slightly and adjust things. And really not be cheating, just be leaning into the edge a little bit, right? 
Who determines where that point of integrity is? Who determines where that line is? When does a sales transaction that I have credited in a journal entry prematurely become cheap? IRS is glad I do it because they're going to get to tax me. The maker's a little bit more concerned because I lied to him on my profit. Where is that line? Well, guys, I'm going to suggest to you that's for me to determine. And the accuracy of exactly where that line is is a lot less important than my integrity and my willingness to stay with my line. Convictions are determined in the time of calm to give me my points or my restrictive boundaries in the time of storm. Most of all of your biblical applications will come forth in the area of convictions. Now, the third thing I'd like to say to you about it is these lines can change. I've had lines that's dipped down deeper as I've gotten older. I've had lines where I've gone out a little bit further. As I've seen things in my life and learned about myself, etc., I know I have these liberties. And I'm in the business of understanding where I stand on those liberties. Questions on that? Define integrity for me. Just forget, just in general, what's the word mean, Bill? I think it's uh, holding a set of standards and living by them, even when it doesn't seem like it's uh, Okay, Mike, what did we, how do we define it in the meeting? Oh, good, good job, Mike. Good job. You don't think I'm not a good teacher? Listen to this. This is proving, this proves that hearing, five percent, five percent. That's all we got out of Michael on this deal. Way to go, Mike. I'm impressed. You don't stumble in this group, Mike. We feed on you quick. We move on you fast. That's right. Do you remember? No, I don't. What did we say, Glenn? What was the definition of integrity? George? Nope. Oh, it was main. It was keeping your word. Consistent. It's keeping your word. If I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Keeping your word. It says in the Bible, a man will swear to his own hurt. That is a tough command. That's a tough observation. If I say that's where I'm going to stand, then I stand. Is it getting painful? I still stand. Have you read putting on the armor of God in Ephesians 6? You know what it says it's for? So that you will be standing. Ladies and gentlemen, at the age of 57, I'm fully convinced that he who has the most toys does not win. It is he who is still standing at the end of the race is the winner. It's standing up. It's staying the course is the issue. Can I just stay there? And so we say that you've got to have integrity, that if that's my line, if you call me legalistic, tough grits. If you call me liberalistic, tough grits. This is between me and God. That doesn't mean I can't learn. It doesn't mean as I learn I might not move it back and forth, but I don't move it just because the pain level got high. Because I determined in the time of calm between God and I, that's where I wanted to draw the line. So when the storm hit, I didn't adjust with the storm. There you go. Well, it, 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 uh, 
it took shape over years, Dale, so there was not one dramatic. There were some areas in my life that God said, get a hold of these. These are bad. And you remember I, I said to you, add to your faith. You remember that verse that we read? Add to your faith goodness and to your goodness. The word goodness really infers conscience. And there were some things God pricked me on my conscience immediately, and I had to move on. One of them was my personal hygiene of smoking, how I dealt with my smoking and cursing and some other things I was dealing with. So I drew lines almost immediately on those things. I didn't even know what I was doing other than I knew I was being moved in that direction. I'd say to you, the older I've gotten, Dale, the more afraid of myself I've become. And I would say that my line has moved in, especially in the area of the opposite sex. I'm, I'm more leery of myself. Yeah. I'm more leery of myself in, in areas of... Huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. Then they're a lot slower than they used to be, too. <laughs> I, got, I got one chasing yeah. I got one chasing me called my bride, and she's fabulous. But I got to tell you guys, I'm more, I'm as more vulnerable today uh, than I've ever been. I'm more afraid of my depravity in that area. Uh, we won't need to go into that, but let me just say to you, respect your capacity to sin. Respect it. And those lines are to your benefit. Every one of those things are to your benefit. All right. Grace may get you into heaven, but the obedience is going to determine how I live in heaven. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Take this seriously in how you apply the scriptures. It's going to determine a great deal of how you live eternity. Okay. Any questions on this? This is a major concept. Uh... I don't know if I needed to go any more into it. I'll be glad to talk about it all at this length because you want to even stop right here. I was going to go into one more uh, vignette. Yes, Dale. I, I just heard the piece of it. But Thank you. Very good point. I should make that. I should make that point. That's an outstanding point. Le- the other day I mentioned, um, let's do a couple of definitions. Let's define legalism. And here is, uh, here's old Mike here. I get the right pen. I've got pens everywhere and I don't have the right pen. Uh, here's Mike. And Mike says, um, here is my line up here, Gail. Here's Mike's. And here's GMJ's. Now, legalism is when I say and look to here and I say, Mike, you're in sin. You, you're taking liberties you don't have a right to take. Are we with me on that? Legalism is when I impose my boundaries on somebody else. So far, so good. My self-imposed restrictions call my conviction. Are you with me now? Stay with me, Glenn. I'm going to make a jump here. If I see Mike going outside that wall, I not only have a right, but I have a responsibility to go get him and beat him up. It's called church discipline. What? Yes, Dale. Thank you, Dale. Once again, I'm only talking about believers here. If I see Michael going outside that boundary, I am commanded to go to you in love and rebuke you and bring you under discipline. Why? Why? Because he's not only commanded, what do you command me? We're dealing with the economy of heaven. If I love Michael, I don't want you to screw your heaven up. And I know for a short moment you've lost, you've gone into vertigo, and I need to go after you. And let God use me as an agent to reprimand you and bring focus and attention to where you are. So because there's confusion between these two, what the church says is we shall not judge. And so if a guy goes out and uh, 
uh, goes wacky do, well, we just forgive him, that's okay, we love him, let's go on. And that's never called, it's not in the man's best interest. It's never in the best interest. God has called us to zealousness. A man who draws this boundary tight, praise God for the guy. Just don't tell me that my line's got to be that tight. Praise God for that. That's zealousness. Let us also be brothers that we love each other. We'll cake the guy when he breaks the wall. We want to stop that. That is not in his best interest. And you're not being legalistic and you're not being a lot of things you get called if you, if you go to a brother and rebuke him. You have four ways you can respond to a brother. You can encourage him. And that's what we're doing mostly here. I can exhort you. I see a drift. I am then accountable to Michael. I say, if you even see uh, an indication of evil in my life, if, if I have the appearance of evil, come to me. And that's an exhortation. They say, Gail, I don't see something wrong, but I see a drift that bothers me. I've had guys come in and say, Gail, I don't think you did anything wrong, but it's just the way you put your hands on that secretary in the meeting, the way you move it, it's the way you just put your hand on it. And let me exhort you to be careful about what you're doing. Well, I'm thankful for that. That's <laughs> called exhortation. Or Gail, the way you told that story, that business transaction, I think you slanted it in your favor as opposed to being more disciplined on the truth. That's called exhortation. Then there's the rebuke, where the guy continues to put his hand on the secretary, and you say, let me say to you, Charlie, let me say to you, David, you're wrong. I've got to tell you, you're playing with fire. Rebuke, rebuke. You've got to get a hold of this. And of course, the next one is discipline. I can encourage, exhort, rebuke, and discipline. And that's when you're in the negative commandments, defying and breaking the negative commandments, I have a right and a responsibility to go after you. Thank you, Dave. I'm glad you poked me on that. Okay. I got out with my life. We're on our way. I want to do one more vignette for you. Walter said, if you're going to be a man who thinks biblically, you must come to grips with the Old Testament. I totally concur. He approached it from one way. I'm going to approach it from another way. How do you view the Old Testament? What role does it play in your biblical interpretation? One of the struggles I've had personally, one of the struggles I find with men I work for, is they are sloppy in dealing with this. They'll take the Bible, they'll take the Old Testament and say, uh, uh, I accept this promise and I accept this command, but I don't accept that promise and I don't by that command. And so they discreetly pick up what they want to out of the Old Testament. And they bounce back and forth. Now, any rule of hermeneutics, guys, any way you approach it, the key word is consistency. Are you with me? If I do it this way today, I do it this way tomorrow. Why? If I don't do that, who is interpreting the Bible? I am. I'm doing it to my favor at all times. So when you decide how you're going to give your life to God in this interpretation, in this approach, do it the same way over and over again, even to your own harm. Are you with me on that? Consistency is an underlying thing. And once again, integrity is more important than accuracy. Those two go together. So there's two ways I am convinced in my very humble, non-seminarial trained mind that you can interpret the Old Testament versus the New Testament. I can stand on this side of the Old Testament and look through it and see the New Testament totally in light of the Old Testament. Therefore, the commands and the illustrations and the work is preeminent 
to the New Testament, and all the New Testament is shattered under the Old Testament. Consequently, the church is the new Israel, and the commands of the Old Testament do go forward. The ones that he said didn't go forward, like the, uh, like the sacrifices, etc., those don't go forward. But by and large, the Old Testament is, dominates how the New Testament is to be interpreted. Are you with me on that? And so unless the New Testament tells me, unless the New Testament says that the Scripture is not valid anymore, it's a valid command. Are we together? Otherwise it goes. Now the other way I can do it is I can stand on the other side of the New Testament and look back through the New Testament towards the Old Testament and say the Old Testament is totally shaded by the New Testament. And unless a command is repeated in the New Testament, then I'm not under obligation to it. Are we together? I can stand on this side and look this way and say, unless the New Testament negates it, I'm under obligation. Or I can walk on this side and look back the other way and say, unless the New Testament repeats it, I'm not under obligation. But which side you go on, you've got to stay on that side. You can't say, I like this command from this side, but I like this command from this side. You can't do that. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> now, what are the implications? That's your be a better question, George. Ask me. What are the implications? Good question, George. Let me tell you what the implications are. You're thinking with me. What are the implications of that? Well, one of the commands that, if I stand on this side, what commands would go across that you basically don't uh, indulge in now? Well, the sacrifices are negative in the New Testament. You're wrong. They're put away. The Sabbath. Is there a denomination that does it that way? It's called the Seventh-day Adventist. And they view it exactly this way. And they say, what? The Sabbath means Saturday, and the Sabbath is to be honored in total, and it is an active live commandment today, and you will obey it, and they obey it to the law. If a guy stood from this side and looked at it, he would say, it's not repeated in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Paul says that all days are the Sabbath. Every day should be treated as a Sabbath. If you worship on Wednesday, that's okay. If you worship on Thursday, that's okay. But every day should be a day of worship. Are you with me? Don't hold one day higher than another. That's right. Unless it is negated, unless it is negated, it stands. All they would say is that it colors. Yes, we agree all days are Sabbath, but there's a preeminence to Saturday. That's what they would say. Are you with me? And another one would be tithing. Tithing is taught from this side. Tithing is not repeated from this side. All right? This side says, remember sparse sowing, sparse reaping. Any man who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each man must give as he's decided for himself. There should be no reluctance, no sense of compulsion. God loves a chill forgiver. From this side, it says what? The commands and the models are tithing. So from this side, your giving is a conviction. I may give 15%, I may give 8%. It's between you and God how much you give. But you are to give. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? From this side, it is a command. And you don't get a vote. At least 10%. Are we together? Rule. Always be consistent as how you approach it. Stay with it all the way. Are you with, are you with me on this stuff? But learn how to come to peace 
with the Old Testament. From this side, it would say the Old Testament teachings are of great value. They are instructional, but not obligatory. From this side, it would say, well, those that are negated, we don't deal with, but all else is obligatory from the view of the Old Testament. And the churches have split along those lines for years. Are we together? That's important because otherwise what you're going to do is you're going to get schizophrenic and gain vertigo as you go in the scriptures. You're going to go into some meeting. I can predict what you're going to do. I've had it happen to me. And they'll say, I got a promise from God in the Old Testament. He gave it to the nation of Israel and we're going to have this happen. If I'll do this, all these good things will happen to me. And this is given to the United States. They said, hmm. And then the other side, they'll run right around and they'll look the other side and pick up the good sides from that. You can't do that. Why? If you do that, you are not letting the Scripture interpret itself for you. You are interpreting it to your benefit. And you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to move in you. Do I say the seven-day Adventists are wrong, George? No, because I'll say this. They stay consistent. And they tend to go salvation by works or salvation by grace. Which one do you think they lean towards? Now think. You bet. Of course they do. Why? They're looking from the Old Testament side which is a very works-oriented thing. They, they appreciate grace. They don't not grace, but they lean heavily towards works. Well, we attend heavily towards the grace side, which would lean us up on this side of the interpretation. Now, there's no way I can exhaust this whole discussion in totality. Let me just let me finish it up there for the second time. You guys have had enough. You guys are worn out with this. I'll stop this. But let me say to you, take this comment seriously. If, you, if when I deal with a man and I have the privilege of discipling a guy and spending years with him, I say one of the major things I'm going to teach you is you're going to come down solidly on how you're going to deal with the Bible. And one of the things we're going to learn and you're going to decide on is where you stand on the Old Testament. It is pivotal to how you interpret the Bible. And if you're going to be a man of the Word of God, you must come to grips with that and hold it. Yes, Dave. They would tend to say to you that Christendom is the new Israel. Would that be right, David? They would say to you, it is the new Israel. And the promises of Israel are taken from Israel and are now in the hands of the church. They would say the benefits come that way. Well, then as you move in your, and you find conviction in your life where you stand, David, that's where you, that's, you're doing what I want you to do. You're starting to think about it. Don't take this conversation lightly. Now the third, the next vignette I would have done, but we're out of time, is on where does Reve, where does uh, uh, where does Revelation, where does the whole concept of the end time stand in your understanding of the Bible? That's a very key point. But you can do that, Jim. That's your next <laughs> Let me say to you guys, uh, you've been a great great group of guys to work with, and I, and I know I speak for Wolf, and the, the joy of you guys interacting was so important. And uh, the enthusiasm with which you discussed it with us is fantastic. And we do these things. Uh, I get the privilege of doing a few with him a year. Uh, and it's just the joy of being with guys like that and coming back a few years later and seeing that God has worked in your life and you're moving forward. We pray heartily for you that God will infect your life and you'll find a new commitment to where you are. And you'll have a new gusto for becoming God's man. That's what we want out of you. Isn't it? Say it again, Lynn. Gusto. 
that you'll have a gusto to, uh, to love God and that you'll move forward and that the, your life will show the impact of the Word of God in your life. Now let me say to you that I, I mentioned this book and there's a few books I would tell you you ought to have in your library. And to the layman, not to the academic, academician or the intellectual, but to the layman, this is a good book on apologetics. It discusses some of the basic questions, who is God and, and why do we believe in miracles and those kind of things, the kind of questions you get thrown. And these are just a nice, neat little apologetic book. I encourage you to put this on your shelf and read it. Don't just put it on your shelf. Do read it. Five pages a night. Right? That's how we're going to do it, guys? In addition to the Bible, five pages. Okay, good being with you, and let me pray for us, and we'll shut this thing down. God, we thank you <coughs> that you have uh, brought us together. Take us home safely. God, let us be men that are better equipped to deal with the Word. As you said, always be prepared to make a defense to, to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you. Let us be people, God, that are so committed to the Word that people see our hope. And let us be people, God, so committed to your Word that we can make a defense to your glory. Amen. Nice being with you guys.